Pizza City is brought to you in part by United Healthcare. How crazy is it to think you can actually have your insurance company pay you to walk? United Healthcare isn't crazy. They just want you to be healthy. One of their programs is called United Healthcare Motion, where members can earn more than a thousand bucks a year toward their health reimbursement account just for walking. If your company works with United Healthcare, ask your friendly HR person about their programs. And if not, go tell them to switch today. Go to uhc.com slash Illinois Motion to get more information. United Healthcare, a proud supporter of the Illinois Restaurant Association and committed to your good health. So for me, the most interesting pizzas are the pizzas that tell a story. You know, not just, you know, not just is this good or is it bad, but what is the story that the pizza is trying to tell me and what is the story that the pizza maker is trying to tell me and what can I learn about them from this and just keep myself open to that experience. It's not a matter of deep dish, Detroit style, stuffed crust, Sicilian, Roman, Neapolitan, New York style. Not only what is it, but how did it get there? A native New Yorker raised on giant slices moves to Las Vegas in 1980 to start over and becomes not only one of the nation's pizza godfathers, training and helping a generation of pizza makers, but oversees his adopted city's stunning growth from a mere 17 pizzerias in the early 80s to literally hundreds today. The story behind Metro Pizza and its founder, John Arena, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to another edition of Pizza City, everybody. Great to have you along with us here. We're into the new year and um, got a lot of good comments about our show two weeks ago with Arthur Bovino uh, of uh, NYC Best Pizza and 101 Best Pizzas in America for Daily Meal. Great show. Just so interesting talking to somebody else who really is boots on the ground and covers pizza pretty much every day of his life. Uh, Poor guy had over 600 slices last year alone. So you think you eat a lot of pizza, man. Nothing compared to Arthur Bovino. Uh, We move to the West Coast, well, to the desert this week, to Las Vegas. Now, you know, several weeks ago, at the the end of 2019, uh, we talked to Vincent Rotolo at um, Good Pie, which focuses a lot on grandma pies. This time, um, we're talking to John Arena, who is really one of the godfathers in the pizza industry. He's been around. He's been doing this for 40 years. He moved from New York to Las Vegas as a a very young man um, in his early 20s uh, in 1980. And one of the things that I was struck by when, when talking to John today was, you know, his, his philosophy, his approach, what he thinks about what makes great pizza. So much of us get caught up with, you know, how long is it fermented and how much moisture or hydration is in the dough and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, did you go train at Buddy's in Detroit if you're making Detroit style? Um, he focuses more on the stories. He focuses more on the people, the personalities, what the pizza says about um, a place, about the economic environment uh, that it was born in, about the immigrants who came there and where they came from, 
that is really sort of how he approaches and thinks about uh, and analyzes pizza, which I just found fascinating. So um, just great conversation today, talking to a legend. Um, if you're going to compare, you know, like a, a sports analogy would be like uh, Michael Jordan. So I'm, I'm sitting down with the MJ of pizza today um, on the show. John, thanks for having me in tonight uh, here in Las Vegas. It's uh, it's good to finally meet you. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome to Las Vegas. I hope you're having some good pizza experiences. My first trip to Vegas, I haven't spent any time on the Strip. It's going to be kind of nice. Perfect. That's, that's the best way to do Vegas. There's so much going on here now off Strip that there's no reason to go, on a, go to the Strip anymore. So give me a sense of the pizza landscape in Las Vegas in 2019, 2020. It's vibrant. It's alive. It's changing. Everything in you know, Las Vegas... Was not was known as a backwater for pizza at one time. I got here in 1980. There were 17 pizzerias in the whole city. Now there are hundreds of places selling pizza, and um, it's but not a, hundreds of good pizzas, honestly. No, but there are a lot of good ones okay. if you know where to look. Some really great chefs that have turned their attention to pizza and are starting to take it seriously. You know, it used to be that chefs thought they could get you know because of the, the by virtue of the fact that they were chefs, they thought they could get away with it. The, the attitude was like any imbecile. If John Arena can make pizzas, any imbecile can make pizzas was basically the way people looked at it. But uh, that's not true anymore. You've got to be serious about it. You've got to treat it like, like any other craft, like any other specialty in the culinary world. And you have been treating it very seriously your entire life. I mean, you said you're 10, 11, 12 years old. You grew up in the business, right? Take me back to, to New York and, and how you got started. Okay. My dad started out as a bread baker in Little Italy in the 1930s morphed into a, being a pizza maker, which, a lo, which happened a lot. And if you look at the history of a lot of the pizzerias in New York, they started out as bread bakeries. He uh, saved his money and opened up a pizzeria on Long Island with his brothers. We moved to Long Island. We were living in Brooklyn at the time. We moved to Long Island. We, uh, what was the name of the place on Long Island? It was called Centurion Pizza. It was there for my uncles. After my dad left and came out here, my uncles had it. We had it for about 40. It was in the family for about 48 years total. And you were growing up, what, eating L&B Spumoni Gardens or Totono's or what? I was a big L&B fan, as a lot of people were at that time when L&B was really in its heyday in the, in the 1960s. I, think they're, I think, still think they're great, and I think they're, uh, they're an inspiration for a lot of what you're seeing now in terms of, you know, people talk about red-top pizzas, sauce, you know, upside-down pies. L&B was doing that variation of Sfincione way before anybody else in the late 1930s, early 1940s. When you say upside down, does that mean cheese and then sauce on top that has to get reduced somewhat? Right, which to me is the right way to do it, even though it, you know, it's sort of the inverse for a lot of people, what people are used to. But if you think about the construction of the pizza and what putting that layer of cheese down first does in terms of protecting the dough from the sauce seeping into it, and then the sauce protecting the cheese and keeping the cheese really creamy and, and soft and not exposing it to too much heat, Changing that order changes the flavor and texture of the pizza and the bake of the pizza completely. You know, we've been doing it in Chicago since 43. That's when Deep Dish started, and it's always got to be slices of mozzarella at the bottom first to protect the dough, and then the topping, and then sauce. You grew up on L&B. You're going to places in Brooklyn. Um, you come here in, to Vegas in 1980. Why? My, my cousin and I found the pizzeria for sale where the guy that owned it was willing to take a small down payment and hold a note for five years. So we didn't have any money. We sold all our furniture. We sold whatever we, whatever we owned, our cars, everything. I mean, you couldn't go to Hoboken or Jersey City? We wanted to come out west. We wanted to take a shot at being out west. We wanted to not be under the watchful eye of our parents. We were, we were right out of college. We felt like we were 
smarter than everybody else, and we were going to do everything differently. And, uh, and not go to California. We, no, we thought that Las Vegas was a prime market because there were a lot of people from the East Coast here working in the casino industry. What surprised us was that the rest of the country, when we got here, we figured out that the rest of the country didn't think that the sun rose and set on New York, which is a big shock for a New Yorker or the first time they venture away from home. Our original business was called the Original New York Pizza, which is a very unoriginal name. And the idea was that we were going to bring real pizza to Las Vegas. And you're talking New York slices, right? The wedges, foldable. Right, pizza by the slice, New York style. And we came out here, and the first customer that walked in the door, who's still a customer of ours, was from Detroit. The second customer that walked in was from Philadelphia, and he's also still a customer of ours. But we, when we started to have this conversation, we realized immediately that people were attached to their hometown pizza in a very special way. And if we were going to argue with them about the merits of their hometown pizza, we were never going to win the argument. So instead, we started to think about what is the, the universal appeal of pizza? What, are, what do all, all great pizzerias have in common? And how do we capture that and not be stuck on only doing the stuff from New York and not be limited to that? So we started to travel around the country. Eventually, we started to travel around the world, talk to other pizza makers, which at that time was very rare. Pizza making world was like a a very closed kind of guild-like world where nobody wanted to let anybody know their secrets, their alleged secrets. So we, um, you know, we, we decided that we weren't going to live that life, that, this, that secrets were futility. And most of, as we started to go from place to place, we found that there were a lot of things that people had. The great pizzerias, although the, the style of pizza might have been different, what was in their hearts was not different. And what the people loved about the pizzeria was not different. So much of it, of course, is based on what was, the, like in Detroit, they had the blue steel pans and the Sicilian cooks. Thus, they create this style of pizza. It had to do with where the immigrants were from that settled there, what the economic conditions were, what the social conditions were, what was available. So for me, the most interesting pizzas are the pizzas that tell a story. You know, not just, you know, not just is this good or is it bad, but what is the story that the pizza is trying to tell me? And what is the story that the pizza maker is trying to tell me? And what can I learn about them from this and just keep myself open to that experience? It's not a matter of deep dish, Detroit style, stuffed crust, Sicilian, Roman, Neapolitan, New York style, New Haven style. It's not only, not only what is it, but how did it get there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, New Haven, of course, is a Petri dish all its own. Sure, and that's, you know, that's, why, that's why you fall in love with it. The pizzas that you really fall in love with are the ones that are telling you a story about the hands of the person that made it and about the community that it's served in. You know, so I want that pizza. I want the pizza that tells me who you are. I also want to ask you about um, the pizza expos here every year, obviously, as you know, uh, and they have these competitions, which I heard started from these Olympics that you guys were doing back in the day. Right. In the early 1980s, we were trying to, you know, we were trying to build a team and a, and a corporate, we didn't call it our corporate culture, we just, call it, we just said we want our people to fall in love with pizza the way we do. So my cousin created this in-store incentive for people to cross-train and appreciate all the jobs in the restaurant, which was basically like a decathlon of pizza jobs. And it, we, t we had a pizza, making, a pizza making division, a menu creation division, box folding. I've seen the box folding at the expo. Um, phone answering, delivery, a delivery competition, and the, the competitors, the employees, would get points to every time they placed first, second, or third in an event. 
So we told Jerry Durnell, who at that time was the owner of Pizza Today magazine and the host of Pizza Expo, about this event, and he fell in love with it. And he said to my partner, can you do this for us? We need to have something like this at Pizza Expo. So my cousin Sam put, the, put that event together the first years. He did it for the first couple of years. You know, now, it's a, now it's a primary focal point of the Expo, and people train for it for years. We're sitting in this room here at Metro. And how many Metros are there, by the way? There are six. Okay, we're sitting in this room. What neighborhood are we? What, what area? We're, um, we're on the east side of town, over by the university. In this room, I see there's pictures on the wall. You've got Unos and Dues from Chicago, Lombardis in New York, Tacanelli's in Philly, Umberto's in Long Island, Totono's in Coney Island. So you're trying, you're paying homage. Even on your website, I got to say, kudos. You've got Home Run Inn on there, which is an old school tavern style joint in Chicago. So did you want to sort of express that through showing different styles of pizza here, or do you want to stick to your New York roots? No, we want to we want to keep expanding our our repertoire. We want, to, we want to send a message not only to our guests but to our, to our colleagues that every pizzeria, every family-run pizzeria, every independent pizzeria, we're all kindred spirits and we need to support each other and we're not competitors. We're, we're colleagues facing the same challenges, trying to do good work. What kind, how many styles of pizza are you doing here? Our primary style is based on a New York style still. But I do a Roman-style margarita, which is a very thin crust, crispier margarita. I do uh, Sicilian, which is kind of our, the thing that we've become most well-known for, even though it's, it's not our biggest seller. New York-style is still our biggest seller, but the Sicilian, because of the process, is what we're really known for in, industry-wide. So we're going to be trying a Sicilian here in a minute. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to keep talking to John Arena. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about his Sicilian specifically, how he makes it, and some of his New York-style pies as well. We're also going to preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks. So stay with us. You've been hearing a lot about cup and char pepperoni lately, from New York to Detroit and even L.A., the nubby tiny cups curl up when baked due to their natural casing with charred edges and tiny flavor jammed interiors. Hormel's been making cupping pepperoni since the 1940s and now their Rosa Grande cup and char pepperoni is showing up in some of the best pizzerias in America. The natural and collagen casings have an intensely savory smoky flavor with a kick from spices like cayenne, red pepper, anise, paprika, and fennel. Every stick is inspected by hand to ensure the best quality. They come four ways. Thick cut, that's eight slices per ounce. Thin cut, extreme, with extra garlic and black pepper. And if you want to slice them yourself, you can get them as a whole stick. I got to try some of each, and let me tell you, these little babies pack a ton of flavor. To try some for free, just go to rosagrandepepperoni.com slash pizza city. And if you own a pizzeria or work for one, here's the deal they'll send you a 25-pound case of any of the varieties I just mentioned by simply filling out the form. That's rosagrandepepperoni.com slash pizza city to try some for yourself. Rosa Grande, cupping and charring the pizza world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're here in Las Vegas at Metro Pizza talking with John Arena, who's coming up on 40 years in Las Vegas in June of uh, 2020. A remarkable achievement, and we've just been talking and eating uh, during the break this fantastic Sicilian pizza that he's got here, and I'll post pictures on the website, but it looks so thick and unwieldy. Um, it's served on this beautifully sort of dimpled pan to elevate it to give it some airflow. 
Um, but yet, when you pick up the pieces, extremely light. Um, I, I want to. I really want to dig deep on this one, John. So tell me how you start this. You said it's a five-day ferment. First thing we do is a five-day fermentation, and we're doing that for a number of reasons. When we ferment, we're trying to develop flavors across. Of course, capturing bacteria in the air, imparting, inoculating the dough with that bacteria. And let's even back up a little bit. You just say that dough, one flour, two flours, what kind of? One flour. Okay. Okay. Can you say? Um, I use a General Mills flour. It's called Supreme. It's not available. In, it's only available on the West Coast. But I can get the same results, and I have gotten the same re- results using Caputo Americana mixed with Tipo Uno. Is there a lot of hydration in this dough? There is not. It's about 62%. There's more than one way to skin that cat. The answer is not always add more water. You know, right now everybody's on this water kick that I think, you know, it's not a matter of how much water can I get into this dough. It's a matter of what's the right amount to get the result that I want. So you've settled on five days to ferment. And is that kind of the maximum in terms of when the sugar is eating the yeast, it's not going to eat anymore? It's max. What you're really looking for is several different things to happen at the same time. Ultimate development of flavor, of course. Relaxation of the protein strands so that the dough can be worked into the pan with minimal, with minimal contact with your hands. Creation of carbon dioxide. Transformation of the, sh- of the sugars into alcohol. So all of this stuff, ha- you, you kind of have to do it in a way where everything reaches its peak at the same time. So we're slowing the process down. It's not, a, it's not a fast food by any means. Five days initial fermentation. And this is, are you doing it in bulk? Or are you doing it in the pan? Uh, direct mix method. Divide and round after, after a relaxation period out of the, out of the re- mixing bowl. 30 mi- depend, that depends on the temperature of the room, of course. Temperature and the conditions, whether it's summer or winter. That's adjusted. The formula is always the same. Temperatures will change. We'll divide and round, put it away let it rise in the, in the refrigerator for five days. We pull it out for about six hours after that, after that five-day fermentation, and then we pan it out. Pretty well-oiled pan? Uh, yeah, we, well, we pan it out, not in the pan, but we pan it out on a table, and then we transfer it to the pan, okay? You, you find that people have a problem with the pizza, with what we call cornering the pizza, when they're panning out in a pan that's well-oiled, because the dough will shrink back from the edges. If we pan outside the pan and then transfer it, you can get it to the size that you want, and then you put it in the pan. And it, after five days, those protein strands have relaxed. There's no memory left. It's staying where you put it. Then it rises for 16 hours at room temperature. Oh, in the pan, 16 hours. Right. How, do, how long did it take you to figure all this out, by the way? I'm still figuring it out. You know, I'm, okay. you know, the, Never satisfied. The worst thing that can happen to me is somebody comes in and says, your pizza is the same as it was 40 years ago. I don't want it to be the same. I want it to be better. Every time I pick up a dough ball, I have a new opportunity to do something great. How long have you been selling this Sicilian that we're eating right now? This one, in this incarnation, this is probably the last four or five years. So 16 hours in this pan. 16 hours in the pan and then a par bake. Okay. So in that 16 hours, that 16 hour room temperature fermentation, the dough has risen, but it retains its structure. Par bake it, like how long at what temp? Eight minutes at 550. Okay. Then we cool it down completely, and then we put it in the freezer for one day. Why? Because when you put something in the freezer, moisture evaporates. And that's why when you pick this up, it feels like a feather. It looks like a brick and feels like a feather. 
That is exactly right. And I'm eating while you're talking, by the way, on my second slice. And I'm going to dinner after this interview, by the way. That's how goddamn good this pizza is. So freezer for, for a day. Right. The freezer is actually a part of the process. People think that when freezing is a cheat. Even if I'm going to use it the next day, I put it in the freezer. How did you figure that out? Did somebody tell you? I figured it out because I, we have a bakery, and sometimes we have leftover bread. And I would take the leftover bread home and freeze it. And then when I took it out and heated it up and toasted it, I noticed that it was, way, it was much, much lighter after it had been frozen. So I just thought that, you know, I'm a slow learner, so after about 35 years of doing that, I figured out that I could do that with the Sicilians and get the same result. I want you to pick it, when people pick it up, to be shocked at how light it is. It's incredibly... I've made this pizza all over the world, and I get the same reaction. People look at it and they go, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to eat even one slice of that. And then they pick it up and they're shocked. And they get a smile on their face. And then they bite into it and they taste those different layers of texture, experience those different layers, that crunchiness on the exterior, the... uh, well, there's craters in the undercarriage that are as large as the moon, um, and it really it gives it this complexity. I mean, you've got this sort of char right on the bottom. That's the part that's touching the pan, but underneath, and there's like this huge crater, and it just gives you all kinds of complexity and chew and bite and crunch. Right. I want there to be variations. I'm not making Wonder Bread. The goal is not to have every bite be exactly the same, but to be have every bite be interesting and compelling and thought-provoking. So after you take it out of the freezer then, after, after a day, then you're going to top it with some sauce? Frost, put a thin layer of sauce, slice, sliced mozzarella. Go back to the sauce, to kind of tomatoes. Um, I use California tomatoes, Stanislaw tomatoes. It's a cooked sauce with a lot of onion in it. You don't add any basil, garlic, anchovy? I don't, no. So after the sauce, what kind of cheese? I use uh, Galbani whole milk mozzarella sliced because you get a different melt and then I stripe it with sauce oh so wait a second sauce cheese sauce right thin layer of sauce on the on the bottom striped with sauce on the top when it comes out of the and a little bit of oregano because in the United States oregano is the spice of pizza okay when did this pepperoni go on pepperoni goes on when it goes on for its second bake it's a cup it's a it's a Hormel Rosa Grande I want the cup I want the char I want that uh, smokiness. And, and there again, you know, like if you look at this pepperoni, there was a t- trend in the 70s and 80s to have this, what they called uh, no-cup pepperoni or... Lies flat. Right, it, yeah, it does lie flat, and it also lies flat on your palate. Right, there's a lot going on in these little, you know, you know, there's a lot going on in these little pepperonis. Interesting that the, the two guys I've interviewed in Las Vegas in this trip, you and Vincent Rotolo, both prefer the Rosa Grande to the Etso. Why? Etso is an amazing product and a great company. I just, you know, I experimented, I tried them both with my customers, and I let the customers decide which one they liked. On the second bake, you went cheese sauce, um, sorry, sauce, cheese, sauce, and then you baked it again with, with or without the pepperoni? With the pepperoni on it. I want that pepperoni to char up so that, just like the pizza crust, the pepperoni has different dimensions of flavor. Around the edges, it's, it's dark, it's crunchy. In the center, it's more tender. I want that smokiness. And then I'm finishing it with Romano, which has given me a little bit of salt kick at the end, and also the, the fragrance. So when this pizza came to the table, you can smell the Romano. And we have to remember that no matter what you do to a pizza, when it comes out of the oven, it starts to die. 
So the, the idea is to get the pizza to the customer in the best condition possible. I know everybody's going to hate me for saying this, but I'm not a fan of delivered pizza. I'm not a fan of pizza that goes in a box. I would totally agree with you. I think... Uh, I say the same thing. A pizza box is a coffin where pizzas go to die. Absolutely. No, there's no one's going to get mad at you because I said the same thing for years. That's absolutely right. You should eat it within three or four minutes of coming out of the oven. And that's why people like Chris Bianco didn't do takeout. At one time, he didn't even have a wrap for leftovers. He didn't want you to take the pizza out of the building. You know? And if you have that kind of connection to it, and you're thinking of this pizza as a rep representation of who you are, it's hard to part with it. This is really a special pizza, John. I'm really I'm glad that you shared this with me. Um, last question. We ask everybody on the show this, and this is going to be great asking somebody who's got 40 years plus in. Knowing what you know now, and like you said, you're learning every day, but knowing what you know now about this business, what would you have told yourself 41 years ago before you opened a pizza joint about getting into this business? And this, I guess, is a question more for people thinking about doing it. What kind of advice would you give your younger self? Never stop evolving. Right? Because... You know, you get these people in the pizza business that say, we haven't changed anything for 75 years or 50 years. You may not have changed anything, but your customer changed. Your customer knows a lot more than they did in the past. They're more engaged. They're more interested. They have more resources for information. They're more well-traveled than they ever were before. They're traveling outside their, their neighborhood pizza experience. So if you're not, if you're not evolving, inevitably you're going to lose your customers because they're changing all the time. The place is called Metro Pizza. It's in Las Vegas. There are several locations. Um, Got to try the Sicilian when you're in town. John Arena, thanks so much for your time. Really a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming over. And big thanks again to John Arena for taking some time. I cannot wait to go back to Vegas and eat that Sicilian again. All right, coming up in two weeks, I get a chance to sit down with another one of America's unofficial pizza godfathers, at least the one on the East Coast, who hails from, where else? Brooklyn. I was going to prove to myself I could do it because you, ha you have to believe that you could accomplish what you can accomplish or you're not going to move forward. You're just going to get discouraged and, and that's it. But once I, I had belief, I, and, you know, I, I would move forward and go through those walls of fears, as they call them. Part of my belief was looking around and seeing other guys do what I wanted to do. The one and only Paulie G takes some time out from his new slice shop in Greenpoint to talk about going from a desk job to a life in pizza, which includes mentoring. That's in two weeks on January 31st. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. We are at Pizza City USA on Instagram. And for more info about the book and our weekly tours, you can visit us at PizzaCityUSA.com. I'm on all social media, by the way, at Steve Delinsky with a Y. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song, and next time you're in Chicago, check out Revival Food Hall in the Loop, where Palermo's 95th is currently baking its Southside Chicago Thin Pizzas for the next couple of months. Gotta get them with Italian beef and jardinera, please. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here's wishing you an optimal bite ratio, always.